the way I defined success was like having a job that other people viewed as prestigious and important. And I think that it just occurred to me during my second year of teaching that being successful really has nothing to do with that. It has to do with like doing something that uses your special gifts and talents to help others and something that makes you feel fulfilled every day. And if I was already doing that, why would I go to law school to, you know, do something different? Welcome to the clubhouse. I'm Arielle Cuties, and I am so happy that you're here. The Clubhouse is a place where amazing women hang out and tell the stories of what they're up to, why they love it, and how they made it happen. A question driving all of the conversations I get to have with these women is, what does success mean to you? And I'm asking that because a big part of my motivation for starting this podcast was feeling like we talk about success in a really static, limited way. We talk about credentials a lot when we talk about success, and that means that people who don't aspire to have a lot of credentials kind of don't get talked about. We talk about milestones, but I don't think we talk about process, and process I really think is more interesting because it's what we live and experience every day. Those milestones are such a fleeting part of it. So I wanted to hear the stories of how women created lives that fulfill their own personal definitions of success. And today I spoke with Rachel and I asked her this question about success and what it means to her. And just a warning, she sets the bar really high. So I am the director of student support and special education at the Travis Hill School, which is a school that serves students who are incarcerated in the juvenile detention center in New Orleans. Um, And my job entails pretty much every level of student support, whether it be um, special education or um, behavioral needs or um, pretty much anything, transition support, anything that's going to help students get on the right track in their education. I live with my fiance and his nine-year-old daughter, So um, just spending time with our family is really important. Um, I also, in the last year, founded a a Mardi Gras dance team that is going to be parading in Mardi Gras in a couple of weeks. So I do choreography for the team, um, and that's really fun, and just lead practices and stuff like that. And then I also have a little... um, craft and jewelry making business called Rachel's Rings and Things. So all of those things keep me pretty busy. How do you make all of this cool stuff fit into your life? I just make time, you know, you just do the things that you want to do. So I think you can make time for things that you love. And what would be your average day? On a work day, I usually work from seven to five. And then sometimes I have additional work to do at home, but those are usually the hours I spend at at my school. Um, and then in the evening, it really depends. So one night a week, I have dance practice. Um, sometimes on weekends, it's more when I do like crafting. And, um, and so I just kind of schedule. I have a very detailed schedule, so I just kind of book time for everything that I want in advance so that I, you know, can make choices about what's a priority and what I want to get done. 
Yeah, seriously. We, I think at business school, people tend to think they're really, really busy. And we are, but I can only imagine that your schedule would put any of ours to total shame. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think people always say they don't have time for things, but then people spend time on social media or you spend time, like if you really look at what you actually do, there's a lot of hours in the day. So you just have to make decisions about how you're going to to spend your time. Yeah, are you really conscious about limiting that other stuff? Sometimes, and sometimes I think that's important too, like making time to just relax and do those things. I think I'm, I think I'm conscious of limiting things that don't make me feel good and feel positive. Honestly, easier said than done, but... Yeah, <laughs> I love it. The best part is just that I have really affirming people in my life so the Petty Bettys is like a group of women who I feel really supported by. Um, and then, you know, my family is really affirming and supportive of all the things that I do. And I try to include them in different ways. So even my fiance's daughter will help me make jewelry sometimes or she comes to Petty Betty practice with me. So there's still time for us to spend together. Um, and just, you know, I just think I have really great people in my life that support me and want to, they don't mind that I'm busy because, you know, everything I'm doing is providing opportunities for interactions with people that I care about. When you graduated from college, like almost 10 years mm -hmm. ago, I guess you didn't necessarily know this is where you'd be at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how did you originally make the decision to do TFA and at that point like how long were you thinking you'd be a teacher um well I initially I've always been really passionate about educational equity but I didn't think I was going to be a teacher so I went to urban public schools my whole life and I got a really great education in those schools um but I also saw funding gaps you know, being an athlete and going to suburban public schools for track meets and things like that, I saw like a big difference in how schools were funded. And that was something that I always cared a lot about. Um, but I didn't think that I wanted to teach. Um, I was more interested into becoming an attorney and being an advocate for students or going into public policy and kind of pushing on it from that angle. So I think I decided to do Teach for America as like a temporary thing to give me more insight into the just the classroom experience and into education. And then I thought I would teach for two years and then go to law school and that would be it. Right. <laughs> I plan to take the LSAT um, shortly before beginning Teach for America so that I would have my score and I could apply during my second year of teaching. And um, I had planned to take it the day before I um, was leaving to go to Nicaragua to volunteer. And then there was a snowstorm and I wasn't able to take it. And then, um, you know, I left for Nicaragua the next day and I couldn't take it in Nicaragua. And all the next time scheduled, you know, possibilities for me to take it were just times that were going to be crazy with teaching and the summer program, the summer institute you do for Teach for America. So, the LSAT was, you know, I just never actually got around to taking it. And then by, you know, my second year of teaching, I basically realized that I actually didn't want to be a lawyer. So um, yeah. <laughs> I kind of completely changed my mind. 
um, about what I wanted to do. Does it ever cross your mind anymore? No, it really, I really don't have any interest in doing it. And the more, I think like it just hit me one day during my second year of teaching that like the way I defined success was like having a job that other people viewed as prestigious and important. And I think that it just occurred to me during my second year of teaching that being successful really has nothing to do with that. It has to do with like doing something that uses your special gifts and talents to help others and something that makes you feel fulfilled every day. And if I was already doing that, why would I go to law school to, you know, do something different when I found something I was really passionate about that I love to do every day? That's amazing, and particularly because I know that the first year or two of teaching is is supposed to be so, so challenging. Yeah, and it was. I mean, my first year, I don't think I felt like that as much um, because I was so drained. I think my first year drained, like, my physical energy in terms of the time I was putting into teaching, but even more than that, it kind of drained my, like, emotional and spiritual energy because I I didn't feel like the school I was working at was making ethical decisions that were supporting students. I didn't feel like I was doing great work and I was being a great Spanish teacher. So I didn't, I didn't feel like I was um, really accomplishing anything. But I think my mom was really who inspired me to, to not give up um starting with like when I attended college for undergraduate undergraduate I was at University of Kentucky and my first year you know going from an urban public high school to attending University of Kentucky which is 90 percent white and just seeing how racist a lot of students were I called my mom and I was like I want to come home I don't want to be here and my mom said well you can't come home and like you're saying all these things about the other students there, but what are you actually doing to change it? So she kind of just instilled in me that like one, giving up is not an option. And two, if you see something you don't like, you have to always look in the mirror and ask yourself like, what am I doing to actually change this situation? That mindset that Rachel had built through college ended up being critical when she started teaching and facing challenges that, frankly, would have sent a lot of us, myself included, looking for a new job. Fortunately for all of us, there are people like Rachel who are committed to sticking with it, but that resolve was really challenged when she was hit in her first year with an almost unimaginable tragedy. One of her high school students was murdered during the school's Mardi Gras break. I would say that going to work um, after that happened was some of the hardest days of my life, like just going to work and seeing his four sisters who I taught all of them and the grief that they were experiencing and his classmates um, and, you know, being there with them for that was extremely difficult. You know, I, I definitely, you know, didn't feel inspired at first to do anything I just was grieving but um, I think over time when you realize that this isn't an isolated incident and gun violence is um, embedded in the city now because of the cycle of poverty because of 
um, just so, so many things that have been done to the residents of New Orleans that now gun violence is a regular part of life. And once you see that, then it makes you be, definitely be inspired to change it. And I think that was something that um, kind of changed my perspective as well. I guess in the need for having great teachers because I felt like he was so disconnected from school and had gotten into a different lifestyle that led to that happening. And I felt like that wouldn't have happened if he had gone to a great school and really saw a future for himself that was different. That's when I made the decision that this was what I wanted to do. Um, or at least that I wanted to continue working in schools, um, yeah. whether as a teacher or in student support. Was it really crystal clear, a crystal clear decision to you at that time? And has it remained a really clear decision for you? Yeah, it has. It was really clear. And I mean, just selfishly, like I love working with young people. So ever since my second year of teaching, I couldn't imagine a job where I'm working somewhere and there aren't um, young people there. I mean, I think working with adults is really challenging <laughs> more so than for me, more so than working with um, with young people. So that's what I definitely have always wanted to do. And I haven't really looked back since my second year of teaching. So, okay, once you made the decision that you wanted that you were going to be a teacher for the long haul, what were your goals at that point? So this is like two years after college what were you thinking would be your trajectory so in my second year of teaching the school that I was working at had become a direct run public school and so um, in that year when students were expelled from charter schools a lot of times they were automatically enrolled in my school and I really found that I really enjoyed working with students who struggle behaviorally and that I was able to see positive changes in students that I worked with. And I also feel like something that I'm that I have a strength in is just remaining calm and um, helping people get past anger. Um, and I think that a lot of particularly a lot of men in our society are kind of taught that anger is the only emotion that you can feel and helping people process that and uncover like what's underneath that anger um, helps people heal, and seeing healing is really important to me. I think after my second year, that's when I started thinking about what I wanted to do long term and kind of shifting from just being a Spanish and math teacher to wanting to do more for the students who need the most um, support. Just to reiterate, in case you missed any of that, after living and working and teaching through the tragedy of a student being killed, and after working at a school where students who were expelled from other schools were sent, that's when Rachel decided she wanted to stay in education forever. And not just in education, but wanted to work with the students who need the most help. And she said she would define her own success by how much she could help these students with their success. So this is where I pause and say, thank goodness there are people in the world like Rachel. here and say that I never get frustrated or I never feel hurt or upset by things that happen but 
I think if you could, if you take a minute to walk a mile in my student's shoes um, and actually understand the trauma and the things they've experienced, um, it's, it makes perfect sense why they're angry, why they have trust issues, why they sometimes act out. Um, because, you know, I, I think a lot of students, I mean, because so many teachers in New Orleans, particularly, you know, even people I did Teach for America with came and taught for two years or one year and then left, um, a lot of my students are used to people leaving them and giving up on them. So they're not really interested in building a relationship with you because um, they're fearful that they might put trust in you and then be abandoned. So, you know, a lot of kids might be mean to you when they first meet you because they actually want to kind of test you and see if it's even worth their time to confide in you, to build trust with you, um, if you're really going to be there to help them um, for for a long term. So I think, like, when you don't take things personally and realize that people are angry, but they're not angry with you, even if they're acting it out towards you in that moment, um, and, you know, people have experienced trauma and they want to feel powerful and maybe they're trying to exert power over you. If you understand, like, the causes of it, then you don't take it personally and then you can start healing. The most difficult part um, is, you know, when you're not successful. Like, I fail, I fail all the time in my job and that's a terrible feeling. And that's, you know, the things that make you want to give up more than anything is when you don't get through to a student or you or maybe you see a positive change in a student and then something terrible still happens to them. Even though they've decided to turn their life around, um, they're still either going back to the same community they lived in before, to the same house they lived in before when they're released from the detention center, or maybe they've made negative decisions that have placed them in adult court and they end up being sentenced to 20 years in prison as a 15-year-old. Um, you know, the, that's the type of stuff that's terrible um, and makes my job really difficult because you can do so much, but you can only do so much. So I also started my graduate program, um, which I was following behind one of my friends uh, from high school who actually had also completed, um, she, she was a, a year ahead of me in the Columbia program. And I don't, I, I decided I wanted to do that program because she shared with me a lot of aspects of it that I thought would help me become a more effective leader of adults. Um, and that was something I knew I would have to learn more about and develop myself in if I wanted to um, have a greater impact and be able to impact students on a greater scale than just in the classroom. The program has a big focus on mindfulness um, and leadership development and so I think it helped me. I think that's the area I still have work to do in that I want to continue improving um, because it's not something that really comes as naturally to me as working with students, but it definitely gave me a lot of strategies and skills.
skills that I can continue to develop and practice. And you were balancing going to that school and, and that program while you were also teaching? Yes, but it's designed for people to do that. I think at the time I was kind of doubting it, like, is this really worth it? Is it is it going to benefit me in the long run? Are these skills that I'm going to need? Is it worth all of this money I'm borrowing to go to school? Um, which was probably my biggest concern. And I can say that in the long term, like over the last few years, it's definitely paid off and served me in terms of the skills that I learned and also just enabling me to ha- to get the job that I have right now. Um, I don't know if I would have been considered for this position if I didn't have a master's degree. So I'm okay. really glad I did it. So, okay, so then how did you how did you end up in this position? When I read about that they were founding a new school inside New Orleans Juvenile Detention Center, and I read about the job position, which was, you know, just all about student support, so all about working with kids who need the most support, um, I was just like, this is literally my dream job. And it's, you know, founding a new school. Um, it just made me so excited about the possibility and I really didn't think I would be considered for it. I didn't think I had enough experience and I hadn't completed my special education certification yet. So for a lot of reasons, I didn't think I would be considered, but it was like, you know, I had to apply because it was my dream job. So (laughs) I did and they hired me. So, And has it been your dream job since you started? It really has. Um, I absolutely love um, working with the students. Um, I think that we've built a school that really provides space where that can be transformative for students. And so that has been um, has been really great for me. Um, I also have a professional mentor um, in like my supervisor is um, this really badass woman. I've, I've never really had a professional mentor before this position. So that's been so helpful because it's really helped me develop professionally and learn so much and, you know, feel like I can always ask questions. And I just feel like I've grown the most in this position more than I have in any other job that I've ever done. Do you see yourself staying there for a long time? Yes, I want to stay forever. (laughs) I mean, there's so much work to be done um, in this area because, you know, I mean, before we started this school, the kids were like a lot of the kids weren't even coming to school every day. And then the kids who did come to school were just kind of given packets Um, to complete. And there were a lot of issues around special education. And, you know, it wasn't, I mean, if you go to the majority, I would say the majority of juvenile detention centers across the country, they're not providing a really high quality education to young people who are housed there. And so there's just so much work to be done. And I feel like if we build um, a a school within a facility that's doing a great job and helping students have successful transitions back to their community and um, helping students earn high school diplomas and helping students have all these transformative experiences, then we can be a model and actually impact what that looks like all around the country. Um, We are trying to kind of expand our influence in New Orleans and then hopefully 
you know, once we kind of have some more experience and perfect it, then we can share it with other um, schools and facilities. So what are your, at the job, what are your daily joys and your daily struggles? Mm. Um, Daily joys is just dealing with the kids because they just make me laugh all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I don't know. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like a good example, but it's just, you know, kids are, kids are funny and they, they just make you smile. Um, the, and then just, you know, sharing stories with, I feel like our, we have a good staff and everybody's on the same team and you can share stories and laugh about things that happen throughout the day. Um, so that's always fun. Um, and I also really enjoy working with parents. Um, and, you know, it's it's a joy to, to work with a parent who has felt that their child um, has been excluded from getting a good education in the past and then having them watch their child succeed. So, you know, calling a parent and saying, oh, your child made the honor roll this quarter and or they got a certificate for the Nelson Mandela Award, um, you know, and explaining to them, you know, about their child's accomplishments when they have probably never had a positive phone call home in their child's 10 years of education um, is really definitely a joy. Um, and we have award ceremonies every unit. So about every four weeks, we have an award ceremony where we celebrate success. We give out awards. Um, it's completely run by students. So they are like the MCs and, you know, give each other awards and clap for each other and recognize each other's accomplishments. So that's a huge joy. Um and the other, what was the other question? <laughs> it's amazing because you you just have joys. You have such a hard job, and you just have joys. But the other question was, what are the the daily struggles? <laughs> there there are a lot of those too. <laughs> I mean, I think a big struggle is um, when a student leaves, and just trying to support them and not coming back. I mean, we've had I've had you know, 12-year-olds who have been in and out of the juvenile detention center several times over the last year. You know, that's that's crazy to me, and it's just, you know, a big struggle. And then just the fact that kids, kids are dealing with, even if they haven't already experienced trauma before coming um, to the detention center, the whole process of adjudication can be really traumatizing if you're 15 and you're being tried as an adult um, and, you know, facing years in an adult prison. Like, even if even if something changes and that doesn't actually happen, just the thought of it is terrifying for young people. And so it's a struggle to support kids when they come back from court sometimes. Right, so. Right. You know, and they just come right back to school and send them right back to class. And then, you know, the teachers are stuck trying to teach biology to a student who just had a DA offer them a 10-year plea bargain, you know. And so I think that's a a big struggle, especially for the teachers at our school, like the classroom teachers, to work around because, 
you know, you can't stop class every other day to talk about everyone's court case, but it's really hard to just push through and teach biology when that energy is in the room. Right. And I would think it's also really hard to go home at the end of the day and try to get that out of your head and live your life outside of the school. It is. It is. And I definitely, you know, have a hard time sometimes just leaving that at work. And, you know, it's not like I can just go home and and not think about it. But I think that's where other, you know, doing other things for fun comes in because it helps kind of take your mind off of the challenges for a little bit. Right, Uh, right. And I feel fortunate that you can go home every night because your kids don't go home. You know, it's been a process because um, everybody doesn't work like educators work. So I think, you know, at times, like there's definitely times where my family is like, wait, it's Sunday. Why are you going to the juvenile detention center? (laughs) Like, what's going on? You know, why can't you be at home and go to brunch with us or something. So I think there's, it's definitely a challenge to balance your personal life with, um, you know, with a job that's really demanding. Um, but I also think that if you find a career that's your life's work that means something more to you, then the people in your life understand that. And I know my fiance, like, understands now that this is my passion I feel like this is my purpose of of being here on earth so it's not something that's just a job to me um and so because of that he's supportive of that and I think there's definitely times where what there are definitely times where he picks up the slack in terms of you know housework and all the other things that you just have to get done um and helps me out you know especially he always jokes like when school's starting, he's like, okay, well, I'll see you in a few weeks, you know, because even though I might come home, even though I do come home at night, I think my mind is other places and I'm always stressed out and I don't cook anything. And, you know, there's just times, but I think when people see that you're doing something you love, that's really important to you. If they care about you, then they help you um, and support you with that. Are you totally known in your school and even beyond that as somebody who is, so dedicated to do something like come in on Sundays, not just come in, but come in with a smile on your face and really be joyous about it. Yeah, I mean, I think people will definitely recognize and make fun of me a little bit about, you know, being the first person at work every day. But I also think that is a part of the culture of the organization. So like my supervisor is always able to talk to me, (laughs) you know, she's sending emails at 1030 at night, like she's, you know, constantly um, kind of working and giving her energy to the school. And the principal is there almost every weekend. So it's not like, it's just, it's not like I'm on my own. Like, I feel like it's like people are just really committed to this work and excited about it. And I will say that living in New Orleans is nice because they just don't let you work too hard here. (laughs) There's always, you know, a festival or a second line on the weekend that you have to, you just have to go to. And so (laughs) if you, you know, they don't let you work too hard here. So I think it's been pretty, a pretty good balance for me. 
And here comes setting that bar really high on how we can define success in a way that has literally nothing to do with resumes. Success right now, I think, means having doing work that I love every day, um, building positive relationships with people with you know people from different walks of life building positive relationships with friends with coworkers with students um and i think success really me for me means just um doing the right thing like i think we know i think we all know what the right thing to do is um and sometimes it's not easy but I think it mean I think a difference between where I'm at now and where I was five years ago is that now I can I feel like I can follow and do the right thing even when it's there's a high cost or it's a risk and um, I think that's what being successful means for me. The job that I'm doing now has taught me that doing the right thing is always. It's always the best thing to do because every time I do the right thing, I'm eventually rewarded, even though sometimes, you know, there's barriers. Like sometimes you don't want to ask for help or admit that you don't know something at a new job because, you know, it's, you might, you don't, you might, it doesn't make you look good or um, things like that. And when I, when I started this job, I, I was honest about, you know, my lack of experience in certain things and, you know, asking for help and, um, sometimes doing the right thing for students is really hard because it means working a lot more hours and, or it means, you know, it means going toe to toe with people who, you know, think they also think they have the best interests of students at heart, but, they might be correctional officers and they have a different goal for students than you do. And um, I think there's things that have been really hard in, in my job, but every time I do the right thing, like I think that in the end it ends up working out for the better. There's this Maya Angelou video that she recorded before she passed away where she talks about um, like being a rainbow in someone else's cloud. And she has this part where she's like, oh, if if you live your life in such a way that when people talk about you, they say, oh, her, oh. And, you know, then you did something wrong. But if people say, oh, she's such a sweet woman, she's a sweet lady or something along those lines, then you know you lived your life right. Like it's how, you know, basically she's just saying like how you make other people feel is positive. Um, and I think when you're 90, you know, when you're, you lived your whole life, if you can, if people think about you in a positive way and they have a, a, like, feel warmth when they think of you, that's success to me. Rachel, I am obsessed with the way you define success and so grateful to have a role model like you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for talking to me and for doing what you do. And thank you for joining us in the clubhouse. I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes and come hang out again. You can also follow me and the show on Instagram at Arielle Hudes. That's H-U-D-E-S. Karis Reed is an amazing artist and super generously lent us the painting that you see in our logo. 
Thank you so much, Karis. And huge thanks to Jess Sambri of Salvi for the music. And big special thanks to Chanot Taylor. Okay, come back soon.